Hey, we're here today with the Pro Football <laughs> Retired Players Association and a very special moment. I get to sit down with the man, the myth, the executive director, Mr. Bob Schmidt. Bob, how you doing? Brian, if I, if I was any better, I'd, I'd have to uh, take my pulse. <laughs> so Bob and I go way back, way, way back, right? So I won't get into the, all the nitty-gritty d- details of the subject, but he knew me when I was twice me, right? <laughs> That's probably close. It's probably close, okay. <laughs> right? I was pushing five bills at the time. So listen, we're here to have a little bit of fun. I want to right. ask you some football questions Go. today before we get into what, what the PFRPA means to you. Right. So I know that you played. Let's, let's give them a brief bio. What years did you play at USC? Well, let's, let's start with uh, in 1957. I went off from Bakersfield, California, to play quarterback for Notre Dame. Oh, that's right. I forgot about ND. And just to give you perspective, I played with a leather helmet at <laughs> Notre Dame. It nice. was a better helmet. Real man. It was a better helmet than I played with when I got to USC the following year. Uh, I bet. I bet the new plastic shells they came out with back then. It was. It was a suspension helmet with two little pads on my cheekbones. Oh boy. Not pretty. Get to cover that pretty grill, though, right? Did you get a face mask that year? No, you. you the deal was you, there were no face masks until you broke your nose or your teeth, and then you got a bar, okay? <laughs> after, after. After you busted your after, face. After, okay. <laughs> and then, then that means they could hit you above the bar or below the bar, okay? Right. It was not really much scientific you know, reason smokes. for all this. Okay, so ND, down to USC. Well, uh, Take me down the path. Well, Take- what happened is uh, I show up at Notre Dame in 1957, and I play for a guy who had just succeeded Frank Leahy. Now, if you know anything about Notre Dame history, Rockney and Leahy were yeah. like the two anchors, and this coach's name was Terry Brennan. Nice man, very nice, okay? And he brings in a lot of players. There were no rules to the same extent they are today in the NCAA. And so we could throw the Russian sickles. And well, no, but here we, we, played <laughs> both, we played both ways. Yeah. So he said, line up by position. So I'm a quarterback. So I line up at quarterback. There are nine guys in the line. I was like, I think there's been a little misrepresentation. They said, you're the man. You're the man. You're, you're going to be the man, you know, when you come wow. in here. But. As fate would have it, uh, because we were not eligible as freshmen, they broke us into two groups to be the scout team to run against the varsity. So as fortune was, I, I end up as the quarterback on the scout team. And it was an incredible experience. So tell me about who do you remember on defense back then? Who, who, would, who would folks out there remember today? Myron Patios. There you great, go. Great, great linebacker for the Rams. Uh, Nick Petrosani. Played. I mean, these are guys that all played on in the, in the NFL. Right. And uh, George Izo, quarterback. Yeah, I remember. I remember uh, that name. I mean, there were there were a lot of a lot of people, but the team that year was not up to snuff. Okay. Yeah. The highlight of the season was upsetting Oklahoma to break their 57 game win streak. Oh and that was that was a seven to six game. And the touchdown was scored by Dick Lynch, later played a lot of years for the New York Giants. Wow. And they played in Norman. Now, we didn't get to travel as freshmen. They let us travel to, Port, to the 
Purdue. I mean, real big travel <laughs> right. trips. Okay, down a the couple road, miles okay. down the road. <laughs> exactly. But it was a great experience, and and uh, I loved it. Okay. Yeah. And there was another big end for the team who later played for a lot of years with the 49ers, Monty Stickles, okay? And it was it was really a great experience. Now, I'll give you the rest of the background. Notre Dame was an all-men's school at the time, okay? <laughs> it really cut into your lifestyle. Well, no, and, and, and the, <laughs> the other part of it is we all had to live in dorms, okay? Yeah. There was nobody living off campus. There were no apartments, okay? And as a first-year student... You did not have a vehicle. Oh wow! So you you were kind of you, you were know, there un- they had under control. the gun. Okay, right. And they even had a procedure whereby in your dorm you had to get up at quarter seven to be in chapel at seven. Okay. <laughs> wow. And then at nighttime you had to be in your room by ten. This is a freshman. I don't think this applied to upperclassmen. Right. And the lights went out at eleven. One of my closest teammates and became one of my closest friends, later played 14 years for the Rams, named Joe Shabelli, was from Springfield, Massachusetts. Right. Incredible guy. He, he wasn't even six feet tall, but he was 300 pounds. He was like a square. Right. <laughs> and Joe and I became as close as you can be, you know, and, and there was another guy in our, in our particular dorm who was a baseball player named Carl Yastrzemski. Oh, okay. Yeah, everybody's so heard of Carl Yastrzemski. We, we had some really good people, and uh, I enjoyed the football. But now I'll fast forward to the story. In February, it's ten degrees outside. Okay, and the wind chill off the Lake Michigan oh, probably brought it down to minus ten. I'm My closest brother, yeah. who's ten and a half months younger than I am, Irish twins, was the state shot put and discus champion in California, and a football player. He calls me up. In February, Robert, don't mess up my deal. SC wants us. Let's play together. I said, I'm heading home, okay? <laughs> but I, I was a gentleman about it. I went to Coach Brennan, and I said, I, I'm thinking of leaving. And he said, stay through spring ball. Yeah. If you still have that feeling, I'll give you my blessing and help you. So it was, it was a, a good experience. I ended up third team uh, my freshman year. Got some ink in the papers and so on, but I went on home. Yeah, wow. That's so. What year did you arrive at USC? Fifty-eight. Fifty-eight. And what's interesting, you had to sit out a year, which was part of any transfer rule. Right. But the Pacific Coast Conference at that time had a rule where they took a year away from you. So I'm only going to have two years to play, regardless. Okay. Now, what was interesting was, I'm playing quarterback at six four, two twenty. That's a big quarterback I was, for I back was then. big in those days. You look like you weren't an offensive lineman like well, me they, they, with your hand in the dirt. We're talking about Schmidt. I think you could play tight end, and I <laughs> said, I'm a sissy. I like being a quarterback. Okay? Right. But we played both ways, so they, they, they always had the quarterbacks play free safety, and we ran, ran a zone, so we, you know, we didn't have to be quick and everything. We could just, but if you like to hit, which I did, yeah. they'd move me up sometimes and play weak side linebacker. But what was interesting – the guy waiting for me at the quarterback, the incumbent quarterback, was the first black quarterback in major college football. Who's that? Came, came there out of Washington, D.C., recruited by none other than Al Davis, the then coach, right. assistant coach at SC, named Willie Wood. Willie, Willie Wood. Wood later becomes a Hall of Famer with the Packers, played 12 years with the Packers. Okay? Wow. So Willie's got the job. We become very tight, very close. Long story short, Willie beats me out for the quarterback job. I got even with him. 
I became his lawyer. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> and then 11 years ago, Willie took a fall. We found out he had Alzheimer's dementia. Right. I became his guardian. Okay. What an amazing And, and I story. have still continued to, to be there for him. I have him in a place in Washington, D.C. called Sunrise on Connecticut Avenue. He'll be 83 on his next birthday, December 23rd. He doesn't talk anymore. He talks with his eyes. Right. But that's my that's my black brother from another mother. Right. And that's all you needed that? to know. Like what what an incredible journey. And there's just just the names. I mean, you're just throwing them out, but these are these are legendary people in in the sports world. And, and you mentioned Al Davis, right? So we're talking about this is Al Davis before most people know Al Davis. Raiders Al Davis, right? Al Davis could sell refrigerators to Eskimos. <laughs> he had that kind of presence, okay? Yeah. And when I transferred, he had come from the Citadel, and he brings three players from the Citadel, so the four of us lived together in an apartment. He'd come in our apartment some days and throw two 20s down on the kitchen table and say, ah, guys, go get yourself some pizza, <laughs> and walk out, you know? So how does a guy from, that comes from the Citadel end up coming up with, you know, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying? Listen, the guy had people like Paul McGuire, who later became yeah. a great... NFL player, Angelo Coya played with the Bears and the Redskins for seven, eight years. I mean, he convinced these guys to come to the Citadel. One of my roommates was big by standards in those days, six six, about two seventy five. Yeah, he tells him he's he's from Norfolk, Virginia, Tidewater area, big big white kid. He says, Jock. His name was John Wilkins, nicknamed Jock. He said, Jock, you come to the Citadel. You don't have to wear a uniform. Well, it wasn't completely false. They didn't have one to fit him when he started. But that was Davis. I mean, he could sell your refrigerators and it'd be cold outside wow. anywhere. Amazing guy. All right, so let's let's get to some of these uh, some of these kind of more hot seat questions. But my first, before we kick that off, if you, I don't, this is going to be really difficult for you, if if you could give me one favorite football memory, what would it be? Well. Because, you know, there's an old saying, uh, I got drafted in the league by the New York Titans, okay? Right. 1961. I mean, it was, I mean, how could you pass this up? A $2,000 contract and a $500 bonus. Okay? Huge. Oh. Big paper, man. So I, si <laughs> I signed this contract, and then I had great, you know, second thoughts about life. And I said, right. I ought to have my header, you know, arrested <laughs> right. or something. So I didn't do it. So I, I signed the contract. I went to camp and then and, and left. Right. So Could have made more I, money as a school teacher well, back then. Well, so right? it, it was not a, a pro experience, okay? Right. But playing quarterback at SC in, a, in the Coliseum, and there were like three or four games like the UCLA game. There'd be 100,000 people in the stadium, okay? Yeah. And I didn't get a lot of playing time. I, I alternated my senior year till we lost the, the first four ball games and – Coach McKay took over as the head coach that year. He comes in the quarterback meeting and he says, fellas, when you lose, the alumni yell for the coach's head and the quarterback's head. As long as I'm coaching, you're going first, okay? <laughs> and you sit down, okay? Yeah. But it was, it was one of those places that uh, you, you, you just had the, the amps when you were out there on the field, yeah, you know? Yeah. And uh, probably my best game was against Ohio State my junior year. I get to play in the second half. I throw a touchdown. Woody Hayes is coaching Ohio State. 
He punches a sports writer that night. No one ever heard about it. No? Okay. <laughs> the good old days. Exactly. <laughs> but anyway, uh, you know, I, I can say I probably had more memories of just being part of the deal. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And, you know, it's funny that all the guys I've known that have gone to SE hold it in such high regard, their time there, of just how uniquely special it is. It seems almost more so that even, you know, going to Michigan State, it was a fantastic experience, love the university, but there's something a little bit more at SC, there seems. Well, I think without trying to overstate the, the premise you just made, the, the, the proximity of USC and UCLA to Hollywood yeah. has, has a lot to do with the whole sort of, you know, Mythical might be a fun place to go to school. Well, <laughs> and and I'll digress a minute. Uh, I played with two incredible. I played with a lot of great players. Ron Mix and I were teammates at, at yeah. SC. Just to give you a perspective, my junior year, our our captains were Willie Wood and Ron Mix, wow. a black and a Jew. Were we a wow. little ahead of our time? <laughs> yeah, yes, way ahead. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, I played with two identical twins, who were consensus All Americans on the cover of Sports Illustrated, named Marlon and Mike McKeever. As circumstances would have it, the three of us, while we're playing, and these rules are not in, were not in place, worked as actors while we're playing college oh football. Gosh. Okay, how cool. So we're gladiators in Spartacus. <laughs> we're, we're doing all the stunts in a movie called Elmer Gantry. Wow. And as circumstances would have it, I have speaking parts, okay? Yeah. And the twins, who were, as I say, easily recognized everywhere they went, they'd say, oh, Bob, why are, why are we not getting the speaking parts? And I said, guys, I said, uh, you, 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 everybody knows who you are. You, you, you can't just be someone else, you know? Right. And secondly, I said, you're butt ugly. So, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so they didn't like that part, you know? They didn't like how handsome you are. No. Hey. no. All right. So a couple of seat questions. One, what's the coldest game you've ever played in? My junior year, okay, we're undefeated. We're 9-0. and We played Thanksgiving weekend in South Bend. Again, yeah. it's 10 degrees on the field and about 10 below, okay? Wow. It was colder than a well-digger's fanny, okay? <laughs> anyway, Willie Wood gets hurt. I get to play, okay? <laughs> Nothing worse than being called off the sideline in the middle of a cold well, game. But, here, here I was. <laughs> I'm coming back home, Yeah. okay? I throw two interceptions. My roommate, Angelo Coya, fumbles a kickoff out to the one-yard line. We get beat 27 to 13. Oh, man. After the game, all my buddies in Notre Dame said, Bobby, you were fabulous. I said, why don't you just kick me in the groin, you know? <laughs> but what was beautiful about it, those two teams, to this day, have a special relationship. We always would get together after the game, whether it was in Chicago, if we were in South Bend, or in L.A., and spend time together. That's I mean, awesome. that's, that's, that's not normal. Yeah, know? yeah. Awesome tradition. So, you know, as football players, obviously there's uh, some big hits we're taking on the field. And I know that uh, I have a few of them that rank up there in my top three hardest hits, biggest hits, right? So what's the, how's, what's the hardest you've ever been hit that you remember? I can remember it, okay? Yeah. We're playing Pitt, Pittsburgh, okay? Yeah. And Ditka comes around the corner and clocks me, you know? And I was like, holy Moses, is anybody blocking, you know? <laughs> How about that? 
Iron Mike Ditka. All right. So talk about the transition from high school to college. When did you realize that you were playing big-time college football for the first time? That's a hard question, Brian. I, yeah. I, I think because uh, I, was, I was blessed, I played all three sports, okay? Yeah. And I excelled in basketball first. I was a high school All-American in basketball, okay? Nice. So I had always had the sense of, 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 of accomplishment under pressure. I loved it, okay? Right, right. I went to a high school with 5,500 students. Our games were played in the junior college stadium with 19,000 seats, and we'd fill it for a lot of games. Wow. I mean, it was, it was already big-time sports long before, you know, in today's environment, you see these high school teams playing on ESPN and whatever. And tell folks, where's hometown? Where are you talking about? Beautiful downtown Bakersfield, California. There you go. Okay? There you go. And we, we used to have a joke. We had more Okies and Arkies there than they had in Oklahoma and Arkansas, okay? <laughs> yeah. They all came in from, from the Dust Bowls back in the 30 Depression, okay? Right. And it was, it was one incredible experience, okay? Right. My senior high school team, not just the seniors, 23 of us got football scholarships. Seven of us were drafted wow. in the NFL and five played. From, that That's had to be, be some kind of record. It has to be a record, but they yeah. didn't keep records in those days, okay? Oh, my goodness. We'll have to, we'll have to look that one up. That's, yes. It's got to be in the record books. So if we could go back in time and you could give some advice about football to your 17-year-old, 18-year-old self, what would you say right before you leave for Collins? Well, here, I'll, I'll rephrase your question. I'm blessed. I have six sons and five daughters mm-hmm. and 26 grandkids. Okay. And so now, in today's environment, people say, Bob, are you going to let your grandkids play football? You know, like, like it's an indictable yeah. question. Yeah. And my answer is, absolutely. But they're not going to play tackle football until they're 12 or 13. Mm-hmm. They're going to play flag and learn the concepts. Okay? That's right. But at the same time, this sport cannot die. And we've got to do everything in our power to keep it from heading in the wrong direction here. Yep. So this concussion issue is a real issue. We've got to get our arms around it. We've got to find solutions. And That's right. we in the Pro Football Retired Players Association absolutely are in the middle of this issue, and we're working hard. We believe there's treatable brains that are injured. We That's believe right. in a process called hyperbaric oxygen treatment that helps absolutely treat absolutely. the brain. We've had uh, any number of uh, living examples and testimonies from soldiers and players. Over two, 3,000 soldiers have been treated with hyperbaric oxygen. Right. I mean, we've got Hall of Famers that swear by it, Joe Namath. I can go down the list. But the problem is today they're not studies that the NFL or the VA or the D- Department of Defense will recognize so this is all anecdotal evidence. So we're, we're yeah. working hard to try to yeah. improve that. Like, I mean, like anything else, I mean, that's going to come with time. There's, there's a lot of very smart people uh, pushing the study of hyperbaric oxygen chambers right. going forward. I, I mean, I've, I've benefited from it. Yes. So I know all too well. So let's kind of round this up. Let's talk about the PFRPA and how critically important this association really is um, for, for a lot of reasons. So talk to me about um, what's at the heart of the PFRPA. 
Well, here, I, I think you've got to step back and say, how did we come into being, okay? Mm. So in 2013, there was a lawsuit that was called the Fred Dreyer. He was the identified plaintiff lawsuit, <clears throat> which was about the misuse of the image and likeness of the players that were not compensated by the NFL. So the settlement basically said, you can now remarket the image and likeness of the players, we independently. We received a settlement. We received $5 million a year for eight years. And we hired one of the biggest sports marketing companies, IMG, mm. and we've remarketing the image and likeness. The goal of our organization is to do everything within our means, capacity, to create benefits for retired players and to become a sustainable, self-supporting organization for all future retired players. That's right. That's a, that's a big job, but I think one that the, uh, the PFRPA is definitely on its way, the, uh, the heart of this. You're here at the board meeting here in Dallas, Texas tonight, and uh, the heart behind this, the, the motivation behind this for everybody across the board is, uh, you know, with all of these retired players around here on this board and, and obviously the their care and it's very personal with all of them so making sure that we tackle these issues make sure that we uh, set this this organization up to ride long into the future right well again i think that historically the retired players had not had real good representation okay no. And I'm not here to call out any group or organization, but that's all history. That's right. Now, now we got to make sure going forward we correct that, okay? And in the process of that, we've got to establish our identity, reestablish it in so many ways because there's confusion in the marketplace. There's sure. many organizations that have some stake in the future of retired players, and we're not here right. to dismiss, dismiss any of them, okay? But I think we're in a position to bring those groups together in a very collaborative way to be all in league with each other and having what we think could be real solutions That's right. for the benefit of retired players. One day, you know, long ago, I, I was one of those guys that uh, depended on organizations for retired players. And, and uh, that guy sitting at home is hoping uh, right. that guys like you and the pfrpa step up to to take on this mission and, and bring everybody together so i think that's incredible that's awesome so bob thanks for hanging out with me uh here in dallas texas thank you brian appreciate it thank you